what, 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 what are you doing? What is this? You're driving, you're walking around, you're talking to somebody, you're exercising. I don't know what you're doing out there, but I hope it's great. I hope it's treating you nice. You know where you are. You know what this is. It's the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. I'm Andrew, one of two hosts, the one from, uh, you know, the southern part of North America. I'm from Mississippi. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I don't live there anymore. I live in California. There's another guy. He's involved in this podcast. The other host, his name is Glenn, not Greg. He's in Canada. Born there, lives there, is Canadian by, by nature and nurture. Sweetheart. Yeah, that's what this show is. Raised by Whoops. Fake radio. We uh, sometimes interview musicians and artists and people we like. And sometimes I just tell you stories. And today is one of those times. I got a story for you. It's called the Edgar T. Squint's Rule of Irritating Inevitability. I wrote it. It's, uh, it's a work of fiction, okay? You don't have to believe in it. Doesn't matter. Didn't really happen. Hopefully won't ever happen. But the reason I'm telling you that is so that you're not surprised by the fact that there's not a guest today, okay? No guest. I also want to tell you, I wrote a book. It's called The Moron at the end of this book. It's coming out in May, May 15th. I'm going to release it. It's going to be available as an ebook for print. If you want to order a print copy, you can get that. And I'm going to read an audio book and have that coming out later on in the month. But yeah, wrote a book. You can go to moronbook.com if you care and see a website where you can actually buy a book uh, starting May 15th. How about that, huh? Selling shit. Speaking of, we've also got t-shirt, t-shirts and aprons and, I don't know, all kinds of goofy stuff on our website. There's one that has Pele on it. How cool is that, right? My little dog, Pele. If you've never seen him, I take a lot of pictures of him. He's all over our um, social media stuff. It's on the website. He's great. And there's a shirt with his face on it. You can get one. All right, that's it. I'm going to give you the story. Edgar T. Squints. Hope you enjoy it. Until next time, adios. I don't know what I'm doing More than half of the time The Edgar T. Squint's Rule of Irritating Inevitability Typically, when the discoveries or insights of a scientist, philosopher, or genius of any discipline are cemented into the lexicon, it's cause for celebration. To have one's profound musings eternally etched into the library of human knowledge is something of which one can be proud. However, there is always the exception that proves the rule. Take that very phrase, for example. A few thousand years ago, when Cicero first proclaimed, Exceptio probat regulum in casibus non exceptus, he got the credit for being the first to say it. Receiving recognition for such a brilliant turn of phrase pleased him considerably. However, it was an intern, for lack of a better term, who actually said it first. He casually dropped the phrase in a conversation wherein Cicero was discussing the inevitability of sitting on one's testicles while wearing togas, after noting that it did not happen, of course, as he seated himself then. This allowed the sharp young intern to quip his historical quip. He was quite displeased when Cicero took credit for this insightful, if not occasionally confusing, proverb. And so, 
This, in turn, is one of the few exceptions that does, in fact, prove the rule that people are generally happy to have their discoveries made a permanent part of the glossary of the human experience. Another gentleman, whose brush with this rarefied phenomenon left him with a not-so-sweet taste in his mouth, was a man known to his friends as Ed or Edgar. Edgar was not a scientist or a genius. Although he did tend to gaze upon the stars with the wonder of an astronomer, he lacked even the discipline to learn the names of the planets in our solar system, much less anything about the complex movements of heavenly bodies in the endless vacuum of space. Edgar was, by trade, a carpenter, but not a particularly good one. His true skill was in philosophy, although he would never have admitted as much. It was, in fact, Edgar's lack of scholastic discipline which lent his mind an agility rarely seen in those stodgy thinkers who so confidently self-identify as academics, a class of beings too unflappably certain of their intuitions for Edgar's taste, anyhow. For Edgar, an entirely functional school of philosophy had been built upon his observations of the exceedingly mundane and the frustratingly painful. For instance, he understood the fractal nature of the universe was not limited to the physical realm alone. While the patterns of tree roots and river deltas or nebulae and human eyes were interesting to consider, they hardly represented the whole picture. Edgar could clearly see how the complexity of reality, the continuity of personal identity, the flow of experience and the casual network of all things, both physical and within the wispy realm of concepts, shared a series of endlessly repeating and familiar patterns. Patterns with which Edgar was increasingly familiar. This skill for recognizing such long-form patterns left his mind open to broader curiosities and a much deeper exploration into the nature of consensus reality. And all of this was taking place in the background of a demeanor that was almost aggressively aloof and occasionally under the influence of strong drink. Edgar's insights usually found him at inconvenient times. For example, it was in the maddening frenzy of realizing a piece of lumber he had just cut was too short, or in the raw and angry moment after having pinched one of his fingers in the handle of a tool that was meant to prevent precisely that sort of thing from happening, when inspired and near original thoughts would flood his mind. A flush of frustration or pain would often be followed by a blisteringly clear idea about some previously misunderstood aspect of reality. These moments of truly preventable pain or frustratingly avoidable lapses in attention to detail would somehow provide a jolt to his prowess for clear thinking. These exasperating jolts allowed a true brilliance to light up his intellect, interrupting a brain briefly tasked with howling poetic outbursts of foul and embittered language with a sublime and lucid message. He might have been properly remembered for his insights had he not been so averse to writing things down and so unlikely to share them when sober. Were it not for a specific and brief moment of irritation, which itself lends weight to the same adage for which he is now infamous, Edgar would have only been remembered for his rather uninspired and occasionally out-of-square building projects, none of which remain standing. When not making things with his hands or prodding the ineffable nature of reality with his mind, Edgar enjoyed riding his old bicycle in the countryside. He noticed a regular occurrence that irritated him increasingly as he gracelessly aged into this indelicate curmudgeonly shell. Perhaps you are familiar with this spectacle as well. It generally unfolds as follows. When, on an otherwise quiet and lightly trafficked two-lane road, any two vehicles traveling in opposite directions will inevitably intersect at a slow-moving cyclist. This cyclist will then fear for his or her life as neither of the two speeding vehicles appears willing to yield any ground, irritating all parties involved. 
However, if cyclists or motorists are prepared for this inevitability, the whole thing becomes unpredictable and may or may not happen. Later that week, after clumsily breaking off the corner of a shelf, he had moments before completed the days-long process of shaping, sanding, staining, and finishing. A bolt of impotent rage supercharged his synaptic vessels. A peek into the joyless game reality is playing with all conscious beings floodlit his enraged mind like a voyeur's iris, bathed in the light of a keyhole. Unlike Murphy's Law, coined by a guy called Eddie Murphy, not the funny one, of course, which states, if anything can go wrong, it will. Edgar discovered something much more spontaneous and casually vexing than Murphy's harsh law. He discovered the following. Anything which has a high degree of likelihood to cause mild to severe irritation is, in fact, unpredictably inevitable, thereby compounding the irritation. In other words, small stakes irritations are inevitable, but unpredictable, which is also irritating. He found this to be a rule of nature, not a law. The fact that some would always believe there is no difference or distinction between rules and laws was as irritating to Edgar as it was inevitable. Laws have consequences. Rules are meant to keep people from tearing holes in society's trousers. In either case, both the experience and the need to explain the phenomena were irritatingly inevitable. And so another of the many repeating patterns in the wild patchwork of existence, according to Edgar, was discovered. He began to see this rule at work in all corners of his waking life. One evening, at his local bar, where Edgar spent more time with others than anywhere else, he found himself seated next to a stranger. It was unusual to meet strangers there, as the town where Edgar lived was quite happy to be the type of place where strangers were unlikely to visit. He was busy pouring room-temperature Irish whiskey down his body-temperature throat while the stranger made conversation with everyone around. Unknown to the locals, this stranger was a journalist traveling the country searching for material for a book, falsely identifying himself as just a guy looking for a job. After returning from the bathroom with a small but irritating and inevitable volume of piss on his pants, the increasingly intoxicated Edgar began to speak with unexpected eloquence about his theory of the phenomenon. To the stranger, this was verbal gold. Much to his credit, this stranger was filled with all the right questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and eventually how. Being somewhat less intoxicated than his other neighbors, the trained journalist remembered a great deal of what he was told and wrote down as much of it as he could recall when he returned to his motel room later that evening. His mind was doing that racing thing so many writers hope for yet rarely experience. On a cold Tuesday evening, almost two years later, arriving for his after-work drink, Ed wasn't feeling great. As he poured the usual, the bartender said, Hey, this came for you in the mail, Ed, and presented Edgar with a thick, hard-cover book wrapped in brown paper and addressed to the bar, C.O. Edgar T. Squints. He continued with a giggle creeping into his voice. I, I mean, I think it's for you, but I, I thought your last name was... Edgar interrupted him mid-sentence snatching the book with mild irritation, saying, Thanks, th that's nice, I'll take it over here. He took the package and his drink to a booth at the back of the bar and set himself to the simple task of opening it. The tape, which held the neatly wrapped paper around the book, came off with a satisfying snap as Edgar slipped his pocket knife between the brown wrapper of the off-white packing tape. He managed to inflict only the smallest of paper cuts on the back of his fingers before folding the knife back into the handle. Before opening the book, Edgar puzzled over the title. Ashore with No Footprints by Tim Half. 
As it happens, this was a wildly successful work that made it to the top of several bestsellers lists. There was a handwritten inscription on the inside cover. It read, Edgar, I would have preferred to thank you in person, but your town makes me crazy. I hope this finds you well and enduring less than the average amount of bullshit. Thanks to you, I know how irritatingly inevitable it is that this will not be the case. Ever in your debt, sincerely, a guy looking for a job. T.H. Sticking out from the thick tome were several page markers with green arrows taped to the tops of them. The first of them led to a dedication, in which, to be fair, the author accurately mentioned two-thirds of Edgar's name and three-thirds of his philosophy on a particular aspect of life. The book had been dedicated to him. Almost. The next marker highlighted a chapter titled The Edgar T. Squint's Rule of Irritating Inevitability. The chapter contained an in-depth exploration of his ideas, complete with clear-minded examples, analogies, and another two-thirds accurate citation of the source material, a colorful and full account of the drunken barroom chat. A familiar sensation began to creep over Edgar's being. Underpinned by a physical sensation in his heart, he could not immediately identify. The first of those feelings was the familiar reminder that his last name, thanks to a mild and lingering roicism, mixed with one or two swallows of whiskey, was irritatingly and inevitably misheard as squints, spelled S-Q-U-I-N-T-Z. The other, not-so-familiar sensation in his heart was later discovered to be ventricular fibrillation, or V-fib, as it is called to both abbreviate and take the sting out of such a deadly thing. When his friends noticed him slumped over in the booth, they tried to sit him up straight. The book hit the floor, page markers scattering like leaves falling from an oak. Edgar was unceremoniously cremated. Some of his ashes were spread along a quiet highway near his home. The rest were placed in an urn on a shelf behind the bar. The inscription on it reads, These are the remains of a man who was our friend and a carpenter. He was much better at being one than the other. Our pal, Edgar T. Prince, a.k.a. Squints. Down. I'm acting grumpy I'm a fool like everyone else I'm falling down Dancing monkey I need to be by myself Should take a long walk Out through the desert Living in the rocks Like a blue-bellied lizard Not come back Till I'm dry and weather Then come back Dancing wizard Feeling down My vision's hazy I'm doomed like everyone else I'm driving all my people crazy Falling under evil spells I ought to go out And put myself together Out of all the rocks and snakes of feather Then I leave behind Limestone wizard, I might come back as a dancing lizard.
like a blizzard It ought to go back As far as I can stagger Dance on the rocks Like a wise old lizard Feeling down I'm acting grumpy I'm a fool like everyone else I'm falling down Dancing monkey I need to be by myself Hey friends, did you like that episode? I sure did. If you're enjoying this program, you can support it by giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you have the opportunity to do so. You can also send us a note at rbwpod.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, concerns, requests, story ideas, recipes, bogus fortunes, or apolitical rants. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. So wishing you and yours the very best of everything and less than average amounts of bullshit. Until next time, loving you.